Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Walden with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. I thought I would do a um, show today. I know I've been doing a ton of podcasts, but I thought I could find something that might fill in the gaps a little bit from the, the rounds of podcasts that I've been doing. And I just want to keep up with my show and make sure that I'm still doing something every week. And I didn't want to have a lot of overlap. Um, so this is going to be a solo show next week. I'm probably going to be doing some more work with Mark Schofield. We're going to look at Mac Jones. I believe that we'll also look at Davis Mills and most likely Dan Hatman will join us on that RSP film room. We just put out an RSP film room on Zach Wilson, which is about an hour long, which you know I think a lot of people have liked thus far. Um, and at some point, Mark, Russ Landy, and I are going to get together and talk about these quarterbacks. But today I'm going to answer some reader questions um, that I found interesting about either the RSP in terms of it's scoring or about specific players or just questions about the RSP or my evaluations of players in the past. Um, and then I thought I'd talk about quarterback fits where I, I like where they might fit and some players that nobody really seems to ask me about, but I really like talking about them and haven't had an, an opportunity to do so as much. So that's going to be today. It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon. I've spent most of the afternoon just kind of hanging out outside enjoying a little bit of my time off before I get the, uh, the RSP post-draft together, start putting together rankings for football guys, as well as doing my dynasty rankings and projections that will come out in June for those who purchased the RSP dynasty rankings and projections package for $24.95 that's available on my site. Um, so, and I'll even answer a question about that, I think, today as well. Um, the wife decided to go to Lowe's because, you know, she's always improving the house. And Lowe's seems to be, I, I joke, we joke with each other that we each have side pieces. And my wife's side piece is Lowe's. Um, and ironically, my side, I have multiple side pieces. And they're all grocery stores, which I kind of find ironic. Because my first ever job was at a grocery store, was at a Kroger. And I spent all of about four hours there stocking items on my first day and thought, I can't do this. Punched out and did not come back. Walked a mile and a half home and proceeded to go to the apartment complex I worked at and said, that job you offered me to pick up trash and just basically use a blower to blow off the pollen off of the, um, the asphalt during the summer and do that kind of handiwork, um, would you still, do you still have that available? <laughs> I'd rather pick up trash than stay at Kroger. And now it seems like, my wife jokes that Kroger's my around-the-way girl and that the uh, health food store's my hippie chick. So there you go. There's a little bit about the humor in my household of what we got going on and also the what happens when you're 50 and, and going to Lowe's or going to the grocery store seems to be something you enjoy doing. <laughs> Life changes, man. Life changes. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about some questions that folks have. And so I... So I'm not going to use last names, but I'll just read some of the emails and answer them. Here's one. Hi, Matt. Love the RSP that came out on April 1, and I keep digesting different pieces every day. But I'm a little confused by your ranking um, of Fields as the fourth quarterback behind Trey Lance and Mac Jones. But then I think you've said he has the most upside on par with Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. It seems to me it's just a matter of your scoring system you have, but it also could be that you might like fields better than his scoring and that he has great fantasy upside more so than Lance and Mac maybe is that accurate thanks again Matt okay so this is a great question it's kind of indicative about rankings and why I think rankings suck and I write about how rankings suck on my uh in the RSP to proceed every chapter here's the thing um Justin Fields and Mac Jones scored very closely on their final depth of talent score, which I use for their ranking. So close that you can pretty much call it a pick em situation. It's just that Mac Jones was just slightly a little higher. So he earned the third, he, he third, heard the, the third spot in the ranking. Well, that's all fine and well. But to me, what's more important than the ranking is the tier that they are in. And so when you look at the fact that they both scored over 80, but under 85 on my scoring system, and as you can see in the RSP if you buy it, that I give a listing of the tiers based on those depth of talent score ranges 
of where I would place them. And the fact that they're both in a tier where they can potentially be starters this year and then develop into being you know, immediate impact players or leaders on their team down the line, the fact that they have that score and they're that tightly scored together, that should tell you that really it's more about a matter of fit. Who do you like more in terms of a matter of fit as well as what type of stop, what kind of player are you looking for at the quarterback position? Because they're both very different. You know, Mac Jones is much more of a Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins type in the sense that, as I've talked about on a lot of podcasts, they're the, they're more about a function of the system and then depending on how well they prepare and how good they are at being able to execute what they prepare to do on the field at, the, at a high level, how well they can do that depends on how much upside they have. Um, whereas you look at a guy like Fields, who certainly preparation is important, but they're more creative players. So there's opportunities where they can use their athletic ability to a greater extent when plays break down or when something they can make a cha- you know, they can spot an opportunity where they can exploit it with their athletic ability to draw defenders in and then use their passing skills or their running skills to be able to exploit the defense. They're just two different styles of playing. You could sit, you know, there are lots of people. We can argue who's better, Brett Favre or Peyton Manning. But at the end of the day, you might decide to choose a guy like Brett Favre or a or you, or you a player who's even more mobile than that, maybe a Russell Wilson or somebody like that. You might choose the more mobile person based on the type of offense that you want to run as opposed to the player who plays from the pocket. I don't think there's a wrong answer when players are graded closely together if you're just looking in theory as to how you would apply them best. So with, you know, Mac Jones and Justin Fields, it's about how you would apply them. And that's kind of the long-winded answer is that they're in the same tier. So it's really about where they're going to fit. And you'll, we'll see which one I like more post-draft in terms of their fit. And that will be a little bit more definitive. But in terms of just pure academic valuing of talent, you know, they're in the same tier for me. And, and then that leads to this next question that Matt kind of asked here, which was, you see that Fields may have upside on par with Lawrence, so why didn't you score him higher? And this is a question, this is actually something I had a conversation with Fran Duffy, who works with the Philadelphia Eagles, and you may listen to his podcast that he does. He had hit me up earlier in the week, and we had like a private film viewing conversation about film viewing of some wide receivers, specifically one wide receiver, and then talked a lot about our wide receiver grading because he had heard me on Josh Norris's podcast and was like, we have some similar thoughts on receivers and I just want to hit you up about, you know, some questions that I have that we we often do in the industry. So we just had a little bit of a, a private hour, hour and a half of just viewing film and chopping it up and talking. And, you know, one of the things that that we both were, talking about is how do you grade upside on a player you know because you could look at a player and and for me how I do it is that you know as you know if you get the RSP you get these depth of talent tiers I do breadth of talent and depth of talent breadth is really how much they can do but not knowing how you know not really grading so much at the depth of skill that they have to do it the depth of talent is is something where you can look at a player and I use these examples a lot um, Sterling Shepard and DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf has less breadth of talent at the position than Sterling Shepard, who can do a lot of things well. He can play multiple roles in terms of slot, flanker, maybe even split in on occasion. Um, he can run all, uh, pretty much all the routes on the route tree rather well. He has some skill after the catch. He can win some contested plays. You know, he can get off the off the jam with some facility. But is he? Does he do any of those things great? In, in comparison, you look at DK Metcalf and you'd say, well, he can probably play, you know, maybe two of the three roles at best, most likely one, you know, and then you're really looking at him running a select number of routes, but he his ability to catch the ball, run after the catch, his deep speed and his physicality at the line of scrimmage are so good that you don't need all those other skills to be a high-end producer. In fact, he's a... He has a greater depth of talent than Sterling Shepard, even though Sterling Shepard is more competent at, 
and a wider variety of things that may be demanded of a receiver. So that's how I kind of look at the two gradings. So when I look at depth of talent, the, one of the things that I do is I place players in tiers of of each of these skills, you know, whether it's route running or pass catching or br- run, separating from the line of scrimmage or blocking or whatever these criteria of skills are, I, I place them in tiers of star, starter, committee level, reserve, and free agent. And each of those are, have a weighted value. And when I look at a player... If I think that there's an area that they can improve upon pretty easily, it just is up to them to do the work because these are skills that have improved with past players based on my observation of them, their development in the NFL, then I'm going to give them a bonus that puts them somewhere between the tier I've placed them and the next tier up. Now, also, if I think that player has the athletic skills or other technical skills that will actually build off of the improvements that they can make to a specific area, then I'll give them an added bonus that essentially gives them enough points to put them in the next tier, but they're still placed in the tier below. So for example, a player like DK Metcalf, maybe he coming into the league, he only used three to four types of footwork patterns and one or two hand usage patterns, or let's say he only used one to two different types of footwork patterns and one foot and one or two hand usage patterns to get off the line of scrimmage. And for me, for him to be in the star tier or the starter tier, he needed to have more types of um, techniques um, acquired in his skill set. You know, he needed to have maybe three or four as opposed to one or two. And that he needed to use them together more often. And I didn't see him use them together. He only used maybe his feet to get off the line, or in certain cases he only used his hands, but he didn't combine these skills, didn't show that he could do both at the same time. And for and that would be part of you know what raises him from one tier to the next. But when I examined DK Metcalf, I would see that he had really violent hands, fast, violent hands that could knock a defender down just by using the techniques that he used. Very rarely do I see wide receivers have that kind of strength and um, suddenness in their upper body work to get off the line of scrimmage. And so that makes him special with what he does. But he, but at the same time, if he only uses his hands one way or two ways, defenders can pretty much read that, understand it, anticipate it, and avoid it if they're good defenders in the NFL. So he needs to have more you know more types of pitches in his arsenal let's put it that way um but at the same time because he's so fast and he's so strong and so big once he learns those things maybe he would move up multiple tiers in his rank in in the way that I would rank him so I give him that upside ranking that gives him that bonus it doesn't mean that he'll necessarily get to that that highest tier but I'm giving him another bonus to say that he has the potential to be able to, um, to to climb, and that and for me, this is where we really get into the weeds here. But it's worth talking about, especially if you're an evaluator listening to this, because or someone who does this on their own for the fun of it, and you're just really heavy into wanting to learn more about evaluating and scoring. And I have readers who have their own systems of scoring who are not, you know, writing in the F- fantasy football sphere or in the draftnik sphere about this stuff. They just do it. For the fun of it they're just deep into the hobby so for those of you you know who are into that or you just curious about this listen i'm still wondering how i should grade these guys because part of me thinks for a dk metcalf maybe it would have been okay for me to give him a bonus that moves him that that is the equivalent of maybe two tiers worth of potential forward so that you know i'm giving him an even higher bonus because if he makes the improvements, then he's going to be not just a starter, but he's going to be a star in the areas that that he would improve. You know, and that's kind of fits with Justin Fields and Matt's question is that maybe there's some things with Justin Fields game that if I he improves because of his big arm and his deep accuracy, maybe he would be even two tiers higher rather than one tier higher. And and there's certainly validity to the idea that I should give a higher bonus to that. 
But then you could also make another compelling argument that until the player proves that he's going to be able to do it, you don't want to give too many points and over-project the player's potential, which is one of the issues that happens with the NFL where we look at athletes and they get drafted really highly because we say, well, if they improve these skills, these specific skills, they're going to be stars. And then they never even amount to being starters because they can't improve the skills or they have difficulty doing so. You know, part of it's choosing the right skills. Part of it is knowing whether the athlete that in question has the maturity or the ability to learn fast um, and apply himself in a manner that he should. Um, whether the off-field or on-field issues, you know, are, you know, in terms of their emotional capacity to do the job are in line with being a part of the NFL and handling the grind that the NFL is compared to the college game. So you can see that that's kind of the the quandary that evaluators can be in, and I'm in that quandary right now, is that I'd like to give more upside to certain players, but at the same time I fear if I overproject them, then I'm end up in a place where you're I'm recommending you take guys who there's a lot of proof they have to demonstrate a lot more proof to their ability to to be good than what they've shown on the field. And and at this point I'd rather err on the conservative side. So a guy like Justin Fields, I'd rather write in there and say, listen, if you value upside, then you know I value his upside enough to believe that he could be as on par with Trevor Lawrence. But he has to prove it. And because my publication is about, you know, the scoring system is more about proof with giving a little bit of generosity to reasonable potential, then this is where he lands. And I think that's the most matured way to go about it. Um, and then if you like my intuition or believe that I have some good intuition about players, then you could read the comments and go, ah, he thinks Justin Fields has that kind of upside. Maybe I should, I'll, I'll add my own valuation to that on top of what Matt values. So it's a long way of answering that question in depth, but what do you expect from me? Of course, I'm going to answer it in depth because I've been valuing the stuff and looking in the weeds on this kind of level for 16 years now. And these are the types of things I have to consider every year. All right, next question. Hi, Matt. Massive fan and subscriber for a few years. Well, thank you. Also an aspiring football writer, an aspiring football writer that takes most of his mentoring from you at a distance. Well, wow, I appreciate that as well. One question about this year. Your breadth of talent scores at all positions are significantly lower this year than they have been since 2017. Is this something weird about this class or did I miss an explanation? I read everything you write in the RSP and I don't think I missed anything. You didn't miss anything. Um, thank you so much for your work and your insight about racial inequality and bringing men into the podcast that can tell me their stories. It has been helpful adjusting and explaining my own worldview. Big fan. Thanks, Scott. Well, appreciate that, Scott. I really do. Um, it's nice to, you know, I get emails about some of the things that are non-football that I talk about, and I appreciate, you know, the feedback that I get about that. Um, you know, it's just about, I don't know, it's just about doing the right thing. Um, and that's really probably the, the best way that I can put it is doing the right thing about it, but I do appreciate the feedback. So anyway, breadth of talent scores. Um, you know, I made a mistake with this and, and nothing in terms of how I graded it. It's just that I didn't explain this very well, Scott. Um, one of the things that I did with the breadth of talent scores this year is that I, um, in my checklist, you'll see those checklists show the breadth of talent score at the bottom of it. And what I planned on doing, or I had the intention of doing, was taking every game and examining them for each player and putting and basically making a an overall checklist breadth of talent score based on all those games, where I would kind of look at everything and say, okay, well, he scored... Um, a yes on this criteria point three out of the five times that I watched him, I'm giving him that score in the overall section. Um, or he, I watched him 12 times and he did it seven times. I'm still going to give him the overall, you know, and, and come up with like a composite breadth of talent score. That was kind of a cumulative score based on all of the, all of the separate games that I watched. And that would have made their scores higher. Um, and that's something that I had done in the past. 
Um, but I didn't do it for this RSP. Um, I just kind of wanted to look at them separately and see what they were, you know, just to look at them from a, what they looked like as low scores. Um, so, you, you know, I'm going to probably do that in the, the next RSPs in the future. And, but you'll see all the separate ones plus the, the overall. So that's why I, that's what happened. It was just kind of a mistake on my part. I didn't have time to go back and say, all right, let's, let's add up all these scores for each of these 150 players and all the games that I watched and, and give one overall score in addition to all those separate smaller ones. But I'll do that moving forward. Um, so let's see. Next question. All right. Hey, Matt, thanks for the RSP. I love it. Caught your overview on football diehards this week as well. This is my first year, and I'm using it specifically to help rebuild for one of my teams using the wide receiver depth of talent rankings um, from 2019 through 2021. I've acquired Jerry Judy, Denzel Mims, um, LaVisca Chenault, and Brian Edwards. I see you have Hakeem Butler and Miles Butkin, uh, Boykin in the top four. They are both on the waiver wire in my league. Of course they are. And do you still feel as high on these two? And do you think they're worth ads? Thanks, Sean. All right. Well, I'm glad you caught me on football diehards. Bob Harris and Mike Dempsey are great guys. I love getting a chance to to do podcasts with them when they have me on. And they're, they're very generous with um, their time that they allot for me to come on and, and talk about the RSP and talk about rookies and, and fantasy football in general. Um, so I, I have much appreciation for with them and and Bob Harris is one of my one of my best friends in this space. He's he was a guy that inspired me to to start writing about fantasy football um, and has been you know, has become a great friend. So uh, you know I have much love for Bob. Um, in terms of the question about depth of talent rankings, you're using the 2019 through 21 rankings and those were based on where I saw them during their rookie year. Now I answered this for Sean in the uh you know in a separate email so he knows but for those of you who think about using that understand that it was how i viewed those players at the time and not necessarily how i may view them based on their fit currently um, that's updated in the post drafts each year and the rsp post draft will update my 2019 through 21 view of those players um you know at that point but i love his acquisitions of judy mims Chanel and Edwards, I think all of them still have a chance to be very good players. Um, and in terms of Hakeem Butler and Miles Boykin, you know, I certainly don't have them as my top four players right now, especially, you know, and if you've been buying the RSP since 2019 and continue to buy it, then you know that. But, um, but they're guys that, yes, I think they're worth being on um, taking off your waiver wire if you are in a large roster format. Say you have at least 40 players and you have a practice squad and a taxi squad or a, a, a taxi squad and an IR and your taxi squad has at least five to seven players on it. That's a rather large league. But if you have that, I think they're both worth having because the talent is there. You know, I talked to I talked to Fran Duffy is who I talked to is with you know the Eagles and he said while that he hasn't heard much from Boykin, um, you know the the he talked to people at Carolina who said that um, that while Butler was on their practice squad, he did flash in practice. Um, you know, but no, but usually when you're taken on a practice squad and you're added at late in a roster and you're changing your position, there's not much you know expectation of the player. So you know, know that you're getting a player that the teams have low expectations on. They're just looking to see if he can show something and that if the injuries happen, he might be able to to build on that momentum and get an opportunity. And then from that opportunity, maybe he can convince the team through his play that more happens. But again, you're looking at a long track. And that means he pro if you don't aren't in a situation like this, you don't have to add Akeem Butler until you're starting to hear news about him maybe some small rumblings in terms of him shining in practice during camp, then you can add him and then see what goes on from there. Miles Boykin's a little different story, mainly because Boykin is a is, has been a starter. It's just that he's in an offense that doesn't really um, use Boykin to its strengths because as great as a player as Lamar Jackson is, and he is a great quarterback, he's just a different style quarterback. You know, His strengths are thrown in the middle of the field, um, throwing deep to some extent, but it's 
more lofting the ball up. And Miles Boykin's best traits or best skills are timing routes on the perimeter that aren't a part of the game plan because that's not Lamar Jackson's strength and they're playing away from his weaknesses. You know, that's fine. So as a result of that, Boykin probably isn't anything more than a second contract player with potential. Meaning that if, you know, like Robert Woods earlier in his career, they put him in the slot in Buffalo. They didn't use him all that well. Um, He wasn't a big priority in their game plan. And he was just a, a middling player at best. And then when he went to the Rams, he became a star, you know, or showed really what his talent could, how his talent could be used in, in an offense that wanted to use, that needed to use talents like his. Well, Boykin could be that guy. Maybe he could be the next Robert Woods in that respect. Then again, we'll see. It may not work out that way, but I'm still high on him. I still think there's reason to be just not in the Ravens' offense with the current quarterback and scheme that they use. Okay, So the, the short answer after I gave the long explanation is I'm still high on them. They're both words that worth ads in deep leagues, but they are probably not worth adding in leagues that are less than, you know, 30, you know, probably less than 40 players with a, a deep waiver wire and IR spot. Um, you could probably add them during the summer when your rosters are expanded and just hold on to them and see if there's any type of changes with how they play in camp where they could earn them more opportunities. All right, next question. So I had a, a reader ask me who was a first-time buyer and said I'm or he's about to buy it. He ended up buying it. But he said, I'm a, you know, I have my own system. I've been around, I've been doing this since night in the 1990s. And we all have our hits and misses. And I'm interested in buying your RSP. But I'd just love to know, you know, who are some guys that maybe you were higher on or lower on? Um you know, and, you know, where your hits and misses were because I can get an idea of how we evaluate because I think we both have scoring systems that might have some similarities, but it will give me a little bit of a feel to know. So, um, you know, the first thing I said, wrote to him was like, listen, I've got past issues available at 995 ranging back to 2006, um, but obviously I'm not expecting you to buy, like, all of them to figure out, you know, where I've hit and missed on players. Um, but I can give you some notable hits and misses um, on players and you can go to my site and search players for some of the work to see the the deeper analysis that goes into generating the publication um, so um, and I just basically also said that I think my best answer to the question is when you do buy the RSP for the first time you'll see how I document everything that I do in terms of how I define my criteria and weight everything and the, and how and the process has grown enough so I think it'll give you a clear understanding of what you're really looking for as opposed to just seeing the outcomes. But with that said, I'm going to give you some outcomes. Here's some players that I'm known for that were, I was probably higher on than many people who had good outcomes. And this ranges from guys who were maybe considered undrafted free agents and actually got to start or contributed in the league at some level of import to guys that were early round picks, but I was high enough on them to say, hey, listen, these guys are better than even the people in the top tier people rate them who are putting other players in the top tier. So obviously Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson at quarterback are guys that I've been known for, um, you know, being higher on them than, than my peer group. Um, Gardner Minshew was a good example of a quarterback that I was higher on, um, who had a good outcome, who was a lower ranked player running backs, you know, Nick Chubb, um, other guys included Ray Rice, Maurice Jones-Jew, Matt Forte, Frank Gore, Marshawn Lynch, Joseph Adai, C.J. Anderson, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Malcolm Brown, Jalen Richard, Boston Scott, Le'Veon Bell, Ahmad Bradshaw, Isaiah Crowell, another guy ranked number one overall who turned out to be a UDFA and had a 1,000-yard season and, if it, and was a starter in the league for a few years. Um and I, I would love to see, I kind of look and see who was in that class. I wish I prepared for that um, in addition to him. But it's, you know, it wasn't just Nick Chubb I rated highly above other players. I've had kind of had a history of this. Um, and then James Starks, DeMarco Murray, Spencer Ware, Joyke Bell, LeGarrette Blunt. That's a long list of running backs. Um, but that's just a partial list, I think. Tight ends, Travis Kelsey, Dennis Pitta, Austin Hooper, Jordan Reed, Tyler Conklin is an example of a player, I think, 
who I rated fairly highly, who was, you know, not going to be drafted at a high level and has had a decent career thus far. Wide receivers, Michael Thomas, Greg Jennings, Randall Cobb, Eric Decker, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., Austin Collie, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Keenan Allen, Robert Woods, Marvin Jones, Emmanuel Sanders, the Giants, Steve Smith, Akeem Nix, and Santonio Holmes are guys that came to mind pretty early. Um, here's guys that I didn't like as much at each of the positions. Um, didn't like as much as the, the consensus, or I didn't like them at all. Um, ranging from early round picks who I had maybe rated lower than the norm or guys I had rated a lot lower. Um, so Baker Mayfield, Mitchell Trubisky, Mitchell um, Paxton Lynch, Matt Leinart, Daniel Jones. These are guys that I would say have either not yet proven that they were as good as the hype or have proven that they were definitely not as good as the hype. Baker Mayfield may still get there. Um, you know, maybe you know less so with Daniel Jones and Mitchell Trubisky, I would imagine, but Jones still has a fighting chance. Um, running backs, Andre Williams, Darren McFadden, C.J. Spiller, Bishop Sankey, Tevin Coleman, Jeremy Langford, Steve Slayton, Niall Davis, Monty Ball. Those were all guys that you know stood out pretty highly that were considered very early round guys that I wasn't as high on and didn't think were worth the hype. Wide receivers include Kelvin Benjamin, Jordan Matthews, Devin Funches, Stephen Hill, Mecole Hardman, Equinemius St. Brown, J.J. Arthago-Whiteside, um, Kenny Britt, Dante Moncrief, Robert Meacham, Sammy Coates. Those were guys that were there. And then for tight end, I told Sean, pretty much every high-cut athlete at tight end, guys who were high-waisted players, long legs, you know, kind of shorter up, smaller upper body. Um, I could pretty much add anybody there that was rated highly that had a high-cut athlete. wasn't there for them. Kobe Fleener and Ladarius Green were also tight ends. I was lower on than the consensus, and it's kind of worked out that way. Now, here's guys that I liked more, but they didn't work out um, or didn't sustain production or they were just flat-out busts, okay? Um, Blaine Gabbert, had him rated number one. That was a big learning curve for me, um, and it was a big learning moment in terms of, you know, liking someone and realizing that I didn't evaluate him properly and I, and how and it changed how I evaluated quarterbacks. Probably one of the, the bigger changes. Chad Kelly. I still think that he's a massive talent. Um, as I joke, I'm, contract, contra, I'm contractually obligated to say that from somewhere by the universe. I still do think that, but you know, he's been a knucklehead, and as a result of that, he's never going to likely get a shot other than to be a reserve who might get put in to start, and at that point, he's going to show something. Bruce Gridkowski, I liked him even more than Matt Leinert um, and had him rated pretty highly. I thought he could be a starter in the league. He had moments as a backup, very good backup, um, but not necessarily a you know a, a lasting starter. Jay Cutler, I thought Jay Cutler could be a star. It didn't quite work out that way, though. He had a Pro Bowl early, you know, his second year, so he had promise, you know, but it just didn't work out. John Beck misevaluated John Beck. I thought he was going to be a very good quarterback. It didn't work out that way. Um, running backs, Cedric Pierman. Uh, like Chad Kelly, I'll go down to my dying day believing that Ch Cedric Pierman could have been a good NFL starter at the running back position, but just um, it didn't work out for him, and he ended up being a, a fine special teams option. I've talked about him a lot um, over the years, um, so you can you can find that in another podcast probably. on Johnson, injured. Justin Jackson was higher on him. Darwin Thompson still think that there's some possibilities there with him, but you know certainly drafted late. His draft capital hasn't warranted the opportunity to really be um, anything more. Maybe he's a second contract player. Um, we'll find out. Amir Abdullah that didn't work out at all. T.J. Yeldon, Bobby Rainey, where I had him, you could probably say with Bobby Rainey he could be fine um, because it wasn't like I had him as a top top guy. I don't think. And he had a nice long career, and he showed some good work as a contributor and even a, an occasional starter, had some big games. Bryce Brown had some big games, but he just didn't have the um, didn't have the mentality or maturity to be an NFL player at a starting level for a long term. Massive talent, though. Zach Zenner, probably a little too high on him. Toby Gerhardt, probably a little too high on him. 
Donald Brown. Um, he didn't have a bad career. He just wasn't worth being a first-round pick. He didn't play like a first-round pick. And, of course, Trent Richardson, who I think most of us missed on. But there were some people we could congratulate who probably didn't. Um, wide receiver, obviously, Hakeem Butler. Dante Pettis, um, who may still get an opportunity, but considering he's down at the bottom of the depth chart and the Giants are looking at trying to draft somebody else, you know he's going to have to prove a lot more um, in order to overcome the stigma that he created in his second season. Um, LeVon Brazil, Cordero Patterson, Tavon Austin. And I'll note, with Cordero Patterson and Tavon Austin, these were guys that during that year I wanted to, I was going to change my evaluation system and and to the depth of talent scoring. And if I had done that, um, Keenan Allen and DeAndre Hopkins would have been my two top guys. Uh, um, Hopkins would have been one. Allen would have been two. Um, and I decided to wait another year because I felt like I was being hasty and changing it. And my old system kind of favored athletic ability a little bit more than it should have. And that gave Cordero Patterson and Tavon Austin, and especially Austin, a guy who I wrote in Football Outsiders before I've even finished doing the RSP, that this was a guy that I didn't even think had like Victor Cruz's level of skills. And he might aspire to become a Victor Cruz, but I had concerns about him being a, a wide receiver of that caliber. And we see what happened there. So I should have probably made the change, and I didn't. Michael Floyd, Doriel Green-Beckham, Marques Wilson, I remember Marcus Wilson, underweight guy, but boy, could he adjust for the ball, Washington State guy. None of those guys really worked out. Michael Floyd could have worked out, but the drinking problem was probably a big part of that. Earl Bennett, I thought Earl Bennett might have a little Heinz Ward in him. Didn't quite work out to that extent. Marcus Wheaton never panned out in Pittsburgh or anywhere else. And then a tight end, Virgil Green, James Casey, Luke Wilson, Blake Bell, and Tony Mokey. Tony Mokey was an injury issue. Virgil Green, I thought, was better than Julius, um, Julius, um, Julius Thomas. I was wrong on that front in terms of being a pass catcher. Um, and I and I can understand where I missed on Virgil Green very clearly. He was a guy that really wasn't confident in catching the ball at times, left his feet a lot to catch targets he shouldn't have, but loved his physical skills and probably overvalued the physical skills with some of the technical skills that I was you know, learning you know, that I was continuing to learn and realize that I, with with him, he was an example of why I needed to learn some of those additional things about catching the football. James Casey, I think he was a tweener, a good player without a real fit at a position. Wilson, I just liked more than what he's turned out to be. Same with Blake Bell to an extent. I don't even know if Blake Bell belongs on there, but I, I wanted to be generous about where I missed. So that was one of them. Here's players who I, who succeeded that I was lower on and clearly missed. Dak Prescott, a quarterback, easily. Easily Dak Prescott. And it changed the way I evaluated players a little bit more too. Um, so that was, you know, that kind of, that was a guy that I realized that I was taking so many notes as I was learning about players that it was keeping me from watching as many games as I would like to see. So when it came to players who were kind of between two tiers, if I hadn't watched enough games of them, you know, not having a resolution between those two tiers could cost you on how you look at a player. And with Prescott, I just simply hadn't watched enough games because a lot of his uh, traits were between two tiers that, where if I had gone the other way with even three of the, I think, five or six areas where he was in between two tiers, he might have ranked out to be my number two or number three quarterback in that class, um, and had a had a high grade. Um, but I hadn't, I didn't do that. I didn't watch enough. And part of what was holding me back was the process that I had spent ten years using to really learn about evaluation of the game that I had outgrown. I didn't need to do it as much anymore. And Dak Prescott for, will forever be that marker for me that helped me understand that I needed to evolve my process. I had learned enough that now I needed to just get more of a sample size. Colin Kaepernick was a player I missed on, and it was more about fit, I think, than anything else. Um, and he would be the one player that I would probably say, um, he was. I think he was a competent starter. I think he did a lot of good work in terms of things that he could impose on a defense with his athletic ability and his arm. I didn't think he was a great quarterback. Um, I do think that what he did socially was 
was the right call, and I feel bad for how things turned out for him. Um, but at the same time, you know, looking at him, he's a player that I would probably say I don't think I missed on him, but he succeeded. Um, he succeeded, and I was lower on him. Um, Demarius Thomas, I clearly missed. That was a big point for me learning about receiver play. Um, DJ Chark, I think I was lower on than some people were. I give Lori Fitzpatrick, who works with TD Wire, we did a we did a film room on him, and she was clearly higher on him than I was, and that was a good call on her part. Um, Antonio Brown, I didn't see enough games with him. That was a good example of a guy I didn't see enough games with. Mike Wallace, that was a fit thing. You know, if you look at it, it just shows you that. There are some guys, if they fit well in a system and they have great talent surrounding them, they can have big years. But once he left Pittsburgh, how well did he play? I mean, he had a decent year in Minnesota. But, you know, it just kind of gives you the idea of how guys who have one really great talent, you know, that can be an issue. Marlon Mack, I, you know, he was one of the few guys that scored, um, that failed one of the um, criteria points for contact balance. With against linebackers that actually had success in the league, um, from the sample that I've watched of over probably eight or nine hundred running backs at this point, um, Philip Lindsay absolutely missed on him. Didn't really didn't see enough, I think, of games of him. Um, that's what I would expect is that I just didn't see enough, or I just didn't like some of the things that I saw. But I absolutely love Philip Lindsay's game now. Um, I think he's an underrated back in the NFL with the right fit. Austin Eckler, just didn't see enough of him. Um, Chris Johnson, another player who that was early on from that running back class. If there was a player I missed on that great running back class of Jamal Charles, who I I think I got a good beat on. LaShawn McCoy, I got a good beat on. DeMarco Murray, I got a good beat. DeMarco, excuse me, um, (laughs) not DeMarco Murray. Darren McFadden, who I think I accurately said wasn't as good as the hype. Um, same with Felix Jones. I think maybe I was a little higher on Felix Jones. Matt Forte I was definitely high on. But Chris Johnson I think I was a little too low on. And George Kittle was a guy I definitely didn't see enough tape. What I did see didn't warn enough for me to rate him highly. So those are some guys in the, you know, in this look, you know, in that list. That's a pretty long list. You know, I, I probably gave you close to 100 players, I bet. I don't know. Maybe I can't count well, but... Certainly at least a few dozen, uh, you know, to give you an idea. Um, in terms of, let's see, how many more questions we have? One more question, and this one gets into the weeds a good bit, and then I'll talk about some players in terms of fits that I would like to see them in, in terms of the quarterback position, and then um, players who um, that I think we just don't talk about enough. All right, so in the, this is from my buddy Ben, who is a school teacher up in the Northeast who I always enjoy getting a chance to to hear his thoughts on players. He has his own kind of evaluation system um, and is really enjoys. He's just a draftnik, you know, doing this kind of work in his spare time. So he wrote, in the RSP, you mentioned Cam Newton's pocket presence being a compensatory factor that helped him out during his rookie year. It got me wondering about a hole in my quarterback evaluations, what are the skills at the position that can compensate for a lack of other skills? You know, when you and I evaluate players, we both have a rating scale we use. And what I'm wondering is, and this is purely as an example, I don't think this is true, that if a player only has, say, catchable accuracy, general accuracy on the intermediate throws, but does such an amazing job of finding open players that it doesn't matter as much, should we score his intermediate accuracy as low as, as, as we do? So if a player has, say, great pocket presence, are there other minor flaws that we don't worry about? Um, are there uh, some combinations of skills where you only worry about the higher of the two skills with the final score for a prospect, or do we add all skills up in an A plus B plus C plus D equals final score type of way? I feel like this is the case to a certain extent for pass rushing skill, but I don't know enough yet about skill positions to know if this is the case for them. What are your thoughts? So let's take these one at a time. Um, you know, should we should we take if we're looking at a compensatory factor, for instance, like say, um, you know, if a pl- if a player doesn't have great intermediate accuracy in terms of pinpoint accuracy, but
but he finds open wide open players doesn't matter as much. Should we score his intermediate accuracy as low? I th- I've been trying to figure out how I was going to answer this question, and I just realized how to answer it just as, as I was reading this again. Here's the thing, and I'm probably going to have to write Ben just in case he doesn't see this. Um, if you're scoring it right, like this example, if a guy's finding wide open receivers, like there's nobody around him and he throws the ball that is just catchable, to me, in most cases, that would be qualified as pinpoint. And the reason I say that is because very rarely is a quarterback going to make his complete living on a majority of throws where the receiver is going to be not within five or six yards of a, of a defender. Most of his throws aren't going to be that. Most of his throws, the receiver is going to be within a yard of the defender or a yard or two of the defender. And at that point, that pinpoint accuracy may matter more in terms of maximizing yards after the catch or the ability to avoid it being a contested catch. Um, now, he may have good enough receivers who can make the contested catches or who can are quick enough to turn up field and still get yards after the catch, even though they may not get the maximum they would if the quarterback threw it in stride. So when the quarterback throws a ball, and so for me, those are still general accuracy. They still get some credit for general accuracy. They just don't get full credit for it. And when you look at Cam Newton, you can say, you know, he doesn't get full. When you talk about him as a passer, I would say he doesn't get full credit for being an elite passer because he's not an elite passer. He's a good enough passer who also has great other great skills that made him an elite producer. And I have no problem saying that Cam Newton had some elite years as a quarterback and that you would value him as higher, higher than many other quarterbacks. I think that's I think that's the right answer. But it would be the wrong answer maybe to say Cam Newton is an elite passer. And in certain offenses where maybe he have to be relied on to be an elite passer, he might not work out as well. Um, so when you talk about that, you know, again, if he's throwing to a wide open player who has no one within five yards around him, the the motivation or an intent of a throw is different than it is if a player is playing tight to the receiver. So as a result, you really should be, um, you're just trying to throw the ball so it's catchable. And in the RSP film room that Mark Schofield and I did on Zach Wilson this week, we show a throw where I talk about this and say, this is an accurate throw. And I would lay, I would give it credit for pinpoint accuracy because he's just getting he's the purpose here is just getting the ball to the receiver. Given the play down and distance situation, given the score of the game, given the fact that there's no defender near him and it's a deep throw, just get it so the receiver can make an easy catch. Don't try and thread the needle on it so that he he's catching the ball in stride over his head when he can just turn back and wait on the ball. You know, to me that's the wiser play. And so I'm giving a pinpoint accurate score to the wisdom of the play as opposed to the actual literal score of, you know, did did he throw to the ball the throw the ball in stride. So this is why context matters when you're looking at tracking and why I always talk about the context of tracking data that we often see. Do we know for sure how this is being done, especially if it's done on a scale where you have 10 to 12 to 15 people tracking data for players on a large scale for every game, how accurate is that tracking? And I don't know the answer to that because I'd suspect there's a lot of variation there. And that's based on my background as an operations manager running teams and seeing these team dynamics at play Um, because most people don't conduct those best practices and that variation of scoring is the big deal. So um, yeah, that's how I would look at it is that it's not so much about looking for the compensatory factor most of the time. It's about looking to see whether you're grading the player in that context in a way to the spirit of the rule and defining what that spirit of the rule is for you as opposed to um, just being black and white about a situation that might not apply. So it really comes back to defining your criteria of how you're grading the player. Um, 
But there are instances where maybe, you know, the way you look at that criteria, you can kind of embed that in there and understand that, you know, if a player has the strength to, you know, separate or the strength and speed to separate from someone um, that goes back to the argument with DK Metcalf that I'm still struggling with. In those cases, you know, maybe it is worthwhile to say that if he's stronger um, and he has lightning quick hands and he has great speed, that you can give him some extra bonus points, you know, maybe for between tiers to say that once he can, you know, develop to a certain extent a little bit more, it won't be as big of a deal. The, the failings he has won't be as big of a deal or he won't be used in that way. But at the same point, maybe that also comes back to how you score your, your sheet overall and how you weigh the value of each of these skills. And, it might, and my suggestion to you, Ben, would always be go back to how you weigh the values of each um, point and determine whether or not you should raise or lower certain criteria values um, with that in mind. So I don't have a definitive answer for you. It's a tough question, but it's a great question. And it's one that I'll probably be struggling with throughout the remainder of my evaluation career, which may be another 15, 20 years. Who knows? Um, if I'm lucky, maybe longer. Or if I'm lucky and win the lottery, maybe shorter. Who knows? Those I'm not buying any lottery tickets, folks, so don't worry. Um, so with that in mind, though my wife does, she's pretty good at it. But um, in that sense, um, quarterback fits. Let's talk about some quarterback fits and players that people, um, you know, ask me about, but don't ask me about as much, but I think are worth discussing. Um, quarterback fits. To me, I'd love to see Mac Jones in New England. I think I've talked about this one maybe the most. But again, he's, a, he's that type of quarterback that's in the style of what Tom Brady does in terms of how they learn how they execute on the field, how they process information. And being a task-oriented processor isn't a bad thing. It's just a different style. And because he has that kind of more task-oriented mentality, to be working with a guy like Bill Belichick, who's so detail-oriented, and Josh McDaniels, who are detail-oriented, and the way that they've worked with Tom Brady and understand how Tom Brady is, they can give Mac Jones a great deal of insight on how to be the best type of player he can be. And I think that's why he'd be a great fit there. Um, I'd like to see Justin Fields in San Francisco. I think everyone's pretty much seen that that's a possibility to happen now. Um, and I think the reason is is he, he would get just enough kind of boundaries in the offense, just like Baker Mayfield and Kirk Cousins, though he's a different style of player than them, but he'd have just enough boundaries to where he could grow in a productive way without getting over, without there being too much overkill or how would I put it? Um, without him being thrown to the fire too, too harshly in San Francisco, they have a strong running game. They could use him as a runner at times. They can stair step him into this offense in the way that, even Lamar Jackson got stair-stepped in the offense, and even Lamar Jackson is a different player. So the way that I would put it is the way that Josh Allen got stair-stepped. You know, Josh Allen got stair-stepped in his offense, and a lot of it was, okay, maybe where certain reads go, take off and run in situations where maybe two to three years from now we'd really expect you to throw the ball. And I think that with Fields you'd see the same kind of thing in San Francisco, and then he'd grow into it and become – you know, a full field reading, 3-4 progression reading, tough, you know, defensive complexity coverage reading, Pro Bowl caliber quarterback if the best works out for his game. And I think he has that potential. Trey Lance, I'd like to see him in Atlanta because I think Trey Lance could survive a rookie year in San Francisco, and I would love to see him in San Francisco. That would affirm to me that, it would be a nice validation and agreement on my end that Kyle Shanahan would look at and go, we think he's very talented and think he could be one of the most talented guys in this class, and we think he could be special. And that would validate my feeling on Lance. But if Atlanta were to take him at four, you know, he'd be in more of a vertical spread offense at certain points with some outside zone looks. He'd get to be behind Matt Ryan. He'd get to be working with Matt Schaub. These two guys would be 
great mentors for him early in his career. And because he's young, you have to account for the fact that as talented as I think he is, and as much as I think that we may go overkill on, well, he hasn't seen complex coverages that Justin Fields has seen or that you know Trey Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence has seen. Yeah, but they haven't seen as many of the complex reads and coverages that they're going to see in the NFL. No one's quite ready for that on the level that we think they are. It still takes one to two years to really get to adjust, really even more like two to three. So Lance is, Lance is just a little less experienced in that range, but he played in a pro-style offense. You know, he's made checks. He's been able to make calls. He reads short to deep, which is a more difficult way of making big plays in the way that he's made big plays than I would argue going short to um, reading deep to short. So, you know, Lance in Atlanta getting a chance to have maybe a little bit more time on a bench, work on a practice squad, work, you know, learn from some good quarterbacks and develop a little bit more. This would be an ideal fit because I think that Atlanta's offensive line is going in the right direction. They're building, they're building that offensive line. I think they've gotten some good young guys there, um, which is helpful. They've got some, you know, maybe Lance will miss out on the Julio Jones era, but he'll still have, he could still have Calvin Ridley in his, in mid career. They should be able to, you know, maybe they can get, you know, some quality players around them. Um, but even if, Lance is at a point where when he's ready that the the receivers Atlanta has are no longer that Atlanta has right now are no longer there he'll be in a position to be a more a better player and they can get young receivers he can work with and develop um or a free agent at a good free agent you know or make a trade of a of an excellent player so Lance in Atlanta I'd like to see Davis Mills in Minnesota or Chicago um now in Minnesota, I'd like it because I just don't think Kirk Cousins is the best answer for um, for Minnesota, but he's a competitive answer for them if the rest of the team is healthy and, and playing at its best. And Mills gives them some time to see if Kirk Cousins can help them you know, contend when he's playing well with good surrounding talent around him. And if not, Mills could be that guy in a year or two that might be able to um, show some potential to outplay Kirk Cousins. And if he's a better version of, if he's better than Kirk Cousins in two to three years, then you might have something with a good team around you and it's at a lower cost. So why not? Um, Chicago, same thing. It's kind of like, or they need a quarterback, but say they don't get one early um, and they're just, you know, they got Dalton and they go with, they go with that. Mills is a guy that gives you a little more upside physically and can learn behind a guy in Dalton who's a pro's pro. Um, so why not? You know, it's it's the same type of thing. All right, let's finish this with some quick hitters. Players that people don't ask me about, but I think are worth mentioning. I'm a big Frank Darby fan. I think this guy could be a starter in the league. I think he could be better than Brandon Ayuk um, in, in the right fit system. Very physical. And I had a scout who I really trust email me and was like, I'm so glad you like Frank Darby. Like he had bought the book and was like, I'm glad you like Frank Darby. He had watched him since high school. Um, talked to me about his early college career and just, and said that he noticed the same things I did about Darby. So, you know, I encourage you to get the RSP and read more about Darby. Um, a guy that Fran Duffy really likes is Amon Ross St. Brown. And I get it, you know, um, the way that I would, we talked about our differences in them because I had St. Brown, Brown rank, ranked uh, 17th on my board and he had him ranked, I think, 6th or 7th. And again, ranking sucks. So we talked about our scores for them. And my score is still high enough that he could easily have been in my top 12, um, maybe even higher. But, you know, because I give grades for potential, but not too high of one, and this, again, this is a, a continuing theme with this podcast about, you know, why you don't overscore for potential because there's, you know, there's probably reasonably five players within his same grade. Some of them have similar skills, but maybe greater potential for upside than what I think Brown has. Brown is a guy that I don't think is going to grow much more in terms of athletic ability, in terms of, um, you know, technique is good. It's going to get sharper, but I don't think, Athletic ability is going to spot, going to create 
that much more upside for him. So what happens here is that, you know, he's a player that if none of my guys who were ranked ahead of him, the five to seven guys ranked ahead of him that I think are within very similar scores where you could say it's a pick em situation. If none of those guys, if their upside doesn't work out where they're scored a little bit higher, it's very clear with my jokingly unscientific attrition factor of like being 29 receivers who have potential to, to, to contribute. If you divide that by four, you're going to get probably seven to eight players. Well, if the dust settles and a lot of those players don't make it, it's probably due, in, at least in part, to them not reaching their potential where I've given them those small bonuses and not a ton, but get small enough, enough for them to be elevated. Well, then the guy who might be there when the dust is settled is Amon Ross St. Brown because he might be, you know, he's already, at, he has the high floor, you know? So when you start thinking about the attrition factor and guys with potential and the dust settling and those guys not building on it, your smart bets are guys like Amon Ross St. Brown. But the problem is, too, is that many of those guys will fulfill their potential. And and I didn't even like give them as high of a grade or high of a bonus as I could have. And there you go. If I had valued Amon St. Brown higher than them, then you know I wasn't being realistic about projecting forward to the NFL in terms of growth. So that's the conundrum. He's one of those players caught in that conundrum where you're like solid player could be a very good player in the NFL might be even a thousand yard receiver in the NFL but there's not much growth to his skills in terms of what I can tell you about with his game Dwayne Eskridge I've talked about him some but you know again I just I think there's something dynamic about his game he's got a little more downside because of the the drops but there's something about him that I would He's a guy I will be targeting in a lot of drafts. I'll just put it that way. I'll be targeting trying to find a way to reach a little bit for him in the mid-rounds. Brandon Smith out of Iowa, he's a late-round guy I'll just be keeping an eye on. I don't know if he has the speed that teams were going to covet from him, but, man, he can go up and win the ball, and he's physical, and he's smart. He just reminds me of a player that that will contribute in the league and could wind up – you know, at his best, being an 800 to 1,000 yard receiver for a number of years, and people just undervaluing his athletic ability. Um, but at the same time, he could be a guy that is the fourth or fifth receiver who plays well when he gets gets opportunities, but he's not a ever going to be a big time starter. Jamar Jefferson, nobody's even talking about Jamar Jefferson in my circles. I don't know. I like Jamar Jefferson, um, and I think that this guy could very well turn into a lead back in a committee, maybe even a starter. He's a surprise. He's a guy that people should be really talking about more. Um, and I just like the way that he plays the game. I, his pad level is the only thing that kind of bothers me about him. I just don't think he maximizes his power all the time that he could have. He's big enough to push, but man, if he dropped those pads the way a, a running back could, he'd be a lot more powerful and it would be, uh, far more appealing for me. Brian Robinson, the the, the backup with Alabama um, behind Najee Harris, catches the ball really well. I like how he runs the football, powerful. Might have a better career. With the right fit, I could see him contributing as well. So that's the jam-packed RSP monologue here. Fits, you know, players we didn't talk about as much. A lot about scoring players. I hope for those of you who like the weeds of that enjoyed this. Um, for those of you who didn't, well, listen, I'll have lots more, you know, coffee table talk about other stuff that that's worthwhile. Um, but thanks again for listening. You can get the RSP at mattwaldmanrsp.com or you can go directly to mattwaldman.com and buy it there if you've never, if you've bought it before and know the drill. Um, and again, the post draft will be coming out. No later than a week after the last day of the NFL draft. That's normally how that goes. Um, and I will, you know, I'll, I'll email everybody who's on the list for that. If for some reason you don't get the email and you bought it, um, you know, just email me and I'll get back to you. I usually get back within 24 hours. If it's a couple of days, it's because this is the time of year that I try to take some time off and get some sleep and, 
and relax and do nothing about football for at least a, a day or two out of the week before fantasy season really starts to ramp up. Um, but again, it won't be more than 48 hours. And for most of you, it might not even be more than you know 8 to 12 hours from a response from an email. So again, thanks for all your support. I really do appreciate it. Um, and you know, getting the chance to do this type of work is is really kind of a dream come true. I I didn't think that I, I I look back on my childhood a little bit and I think about how much I love football and how I would have you know if someone had asked me you would get to scout if someone asked my seven year old self you would get to scout football for a living you'd get to talk with scouts talk with football players and and get to to do your entire job you know your job would be centered around studying football watching football games well my seven-year-old self first first answer would probably be but did I get to be an NFL running back that's probably what my first seven-year-old self would have been I didn't get to play a running back in the NFL because that's that probably would have been my dream come true um but then I would have said, well, that's pretty good then. I, that's cool. Like uh, being older, I guess, that would be cool because I couldn't be a running back forever. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, I may have missed out on the running back part, but I certainly got to do this. And that's in part, you know, in major part, thanks to you and your support. So I appreciate it. And even if you didn't get the RSP, you know, I'd encourage you that it is April and it is Child Abuse Prevention Month. Darkness to Light, D2L.org is a great site, great uncharitable organization that educates people on the on sexual abuse in terms of, you know, preventing it and then also how to deal with it when it unfortunately does happen to a victim so that you can pre- pre- um, prevent your community or anyone else from exacerbating the problem, um, you know, for the child because oftentimes the trauma that comes that's even most lasting for many um, people when they've dealt with this is that they um, they weren't believed by the people who loved them or in authority or cared for them. Um, and as a result, that caused as much, if not more damage than the actual abuse. So uh, again, I encourage you to check that out and to donate at the very least. Thanks again. Have a good weekend.